Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. And you pulled out the victory. You won. I want you to think about that moment, the emotion that you felt in that moment, the celebration that you felt in that moment. Maybe you're not so much of an athlete like me and you you celebrated from the bleachers. You celebrated from the stands. I want you to think about that game that you went to that was just so big and, and your team overcame the odds and you won the victory. Think about that moment, the emotion, the joy, the rejoicing, the celebration. Now open your eyes. I want you to think about that moment and now answer this question. What would be an appropriate reaction to that victory? What's the normal thing people do after winning the big game? Just shout it out. Cheer. That's a big one. A victory dance. Somebody said dancing. I love that. That's a good answer. What else? Hugs. Yep. Hugs and high fives and chest bumps. That's all good. Anything else? Yes. Happy tears. Happy tears of rejoicing. Yes. Just the emotions just well up and you can't help it. Just tears are flowing. Who else got something? <laughs> no, that doesn't count. That would, that would be an inappropriate reaction to winning. Oh, losing. I'm sorry. Um, anybody else? Ice cream? How about an after party? How about some good celebration around food after the big win? I like that one. I can track with that one. Well, no, who, who else? Yeah, Robert, what did you say? Yes, food and feasting. Yes, let's get all of that. Well, I did a little research, and here's what's normal. Here, here are some appropriate reactions to winning. This is the normal thing that teams do after pulling out a victory. Are you ready? In baseball, they dogpile on the pitcher's mound. Right? Everybody jumps out of the, um, the dugouts and you dogpile on the, on the pitcher's mound. In basketball, you shoot confetti and you cut down the nets, right? That's what you do in basketball. In football, you storm the field. I love football. That's my favorite. I remember watching all the Carolina stand William Sprice storm the field when we beat Tennessee, right? And Clemson. Um, that's okay. I'm done. I'm done. That was it. Hey, how about NASCAR? If you're a good Chase Elliott Christian, then you'll know that when Chase Elliott wins in NASCAR, you do a victory lap. That's what they do in NASCAR. They take a victory lap. Um, and, and usually it's Chase Elliott. So there's that. Um, in soccer, you know, I searched and searched for soccer they just do what they did for 90 excruciating minutes before. They run around the field in circles. <laughs> Weird. I don't understand that one. It must be a communist sport. But um, no, for real. They, in soccer, this is what you get. Chest bumps and butt slaps. That's soccer for you. Take it or leave it. That's what they do when you're celebrating in soccer. Um, how about this? In battle, you plunder the spoils and you feast in enemy's territory. I like that one. That's what you do when you win in battle. Any way you look at it, dancing is expected, right? An after party is in order. 
If you're feeling a little bold, some fireworks maybe. Let me tell you what we do in, in my house after when. We get naming rights for the next child. Now, there is no next child. Everybody relax. But I'll tell you a little story about Super Bowl 51. You ready for this? I know. Some of you guys know where this is going, but we got to come back to it again. Let me paint you a picture. Super Bowl 51 was 2017. It was, it was the best Super Bowl in my lifetime. The Patriots were playing the Falcons. And uh, it, was an, it was an less than desirable start. At halftime, it was already 28 to 3 for the Falcons. Not good. And I remember looking around at halftime thinking, well, my prop bet sheet is blown to pieces. I'm not winning any quarters tonight. I might as well wrap it up. Things are not going well for my Tom Brady Patriots because it is about Tom Brady. It's less about the Patriots. So, um, And then, I know Brandon doesn't like that, but um, I remember the feelings that I had in, after half, in the third and the fourth quarter when Tom Brady, the field general that he is, he kept marching the Patriots down the field, slowly but surely scoring touchdowns. First is Gronk, you know, and then Julian Edelman get, gets a touchdown, and then Danny Playoff Amendola gets a couple touchdowns. And wouldn't you know it, by the end of the fourth quarter, they drove down the field, they scored a touchdown to take it to overtime. It was tied 28-all. And then overtime comes, and, and time is running out. You know how the rules are in NFL. And Tom Brady marches down the field, they stop the Falcons, and Tom Brady marches down the field, and they score the winning touchdown. Yeah, I know how excited you are. I can see it all over your face. And the Patriots win 35-28, Super Bowl 51, 2017. That's pretty cool, right? And I remember looking around. I had my friends there, and we were all celebrating. And, and then he looked at me. He's like, wait a minute. You predicted the exact score. And we went, we rushed back to the kitchen and sure enough, we looked at the foil that covered the brownies that I brought to the Super Bowl party. And sure enough, I predicted the exact score, 35-28. It's written in red Sharpie on the foil that covered the brownies. How weird is that? Crazy. Nothing weird about the brownies. Andy, you're twisted. Nothing was weird about the brownies. What was weird is that I predicted the exact score of that game. So I kept that foil. You better believe it. This foil is framed. It's, it's in my Tom Brady shrine in the house. And uh, this is, I, I struggle with Roman numerals, so don't judge me too hard. Math is not my thing. It was not Super Bowl XI. Okay, it was Super Bowl 51. It should be L1. Right, kids? But uh, yeah, predicted the exact, 34-28, predicted the exact score of the game. And so because of that win, how we do it in the Reese house is that, well, Elliot came along the very next, well, the same month, a few, few weeks later. And guess what his name is? Elliot Brady Reese for Tom Edward Patrick Brady Jr. So <laughs> it's, it's way better. Listen, it was going to be Elliot Cannon Reese, no offense, but that's, that, that's a weird name, so I'm so glad that I, I was able to win that night and got naming rights for So no matter how you celebrate victories in your household, dancing is common. Celebration is common, right? The high fives and the, and the chest bumps are common. Those are all normal things. Drunk people get tattoos. That's probably an inappropriate reaction to winning, but that also happens sometimes. But I came to tell us when it comes to church, 
the church body, the church family, we have adopted the most pathetic and weird uh, victory celebration of all time. Napping. No, that's not even it. Hibernation. Yeah, the church... We, we've scored a major victory over the devil, you understand. We've, we've defeated sin, Satan, and death, and yet the church's reaction to victory, most of the time, this morning, if you were to walk in a handful of churches, what you're going to find is dead churches, sleeping members, the body of Christ hibernating. And the problem with that is, I got to work from my phone because my iPad's dead, okay? Y'all just work with me. What's worse yet is that when we are shaken enough out of our slumber by trial or testing, our groggy response to our defeated enemy is the sleep talk of compromise, concession, apologies, forfeiting, sympathy, whining, infighting, division. Can you imagine being on that winning team? I asked you to imagine that moment in your mind. Can you imagine being a member of that winning team and getting back into the locker room and, and fight, having a team fight in the locker room after the biggest win of your life? Does that make sense? Does it make sense to win the big game and then say, yeah, y'all celebrate. I'm going to go take a nap in the uh, locker room. Could not be more tired. That doesn't make any sense. That's not an appropriate reaction to victory. Yet in the church, we find the false reactions as if we were the losing team instead of the winning team. So what we got to do today, our job is to look at this. And I told you last week that I was going to give you three and a half reasons why we got to wake up and rise up. Here's the first one. We must wake up and rise up because we have not appropriately celebrated our victory. As a church body, we haven't appropriately celebrated our victory. And the reason why Christians have a hard time with this is that for a lot of us, the reality of victory hasn't sunk in. We don't see ourselves as winners. We don't view ourselves as victors. So you can't react appropriately to a victory that you don't realize. That's not a reality in your life. So two things for you this morning. Point one is the reality of this victory. We gotta get a hold of that. And then secondly, the reaction to the victory. The reaction will come, and it will come appropriately when the reality of victory settles in our hearts. So number one, the reality of victory. How do we know that we win? How can we walk out of these four walls this morning and, and, and treat our Monday through Friday as confident, bold victors? Because that's who we are. The reality of victory has to settle in our hearts. I got three reasons for you. I can't dive into them. We don't have time to study them, but you can write them down. Number one, the reason why we know we win is because of this book right here. We've read the end of the book and we win. God is so good to us that he's given us his word. And there's a wonderful book at the back of this called Revelation. I hope you're reading it. Get yourself a study Bible. Start reading Revelation but Revelation 20 and 21, if you're ever feeling those thoughts of defeat or discouragement or loss or downsizing or defending or somehow you feel like a loser, 
I need you to go read Revelation 20 and 21 because you're a winner. You're a victor. You need reminded of that because the reality of victory has to settle in your heart before you can ever react appropriately. So number one, we know that we win because we know how the story ends. Revelation 20 and 21. Number two, we know that we win because the church was God's planned plot twist from the beginning of time. The church, that's you and me. That's us sitting in Irmo, South Carolina, January 2023. We were God's trump card from the beginning of time. The church is what the devil never planned for. The Jews and the Gentiles coming together, being grafted together as part of a body, uh, um, being, being a reality due to a risen Savior. That's something Satan never planned for. He thought he won at the cross. He thought he won at the grave, but he didn't realize the valley of dry bones that was going to become an army. He didn't realize that. He didn't plan for that. So that ace of spades that God kept close to his chest was you and me, the church. And it says that in Ephesians 3. I want to show you this in verses 10 through 12. You've got to highlight this, mark this in your Bible. And I'm going to need your help with it. So be, be ready to shout back at me. So that, what's the next two words? Or three words. I can't count. I told you math wasn't my thing. What are the next three words? So that what? Through the church. That's y'all. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That was the church. The church was God's big show-off moment, like, aha, didn't see that coming, did you? So, verse 11, this was according to the afterthought of God? Or was this according to the eternal purpose of God? Yeah, it was planned from the beginning. And it was planned from the beginning that he, had, he, he, he birthed it into reality through Christ Jesus our Lord, verse 12, in whom we have what? Boldness, you with me? In whom we have boldness, what else do we have? Access, what else do we have? Confidence. There we go, thank you for being awake. So we're supposed to, as victors, as winners, we're supposed to have a little swagger to us, don't we? A little boldness, a little confidence. We have access. Let that reality that you are a winner, let that be cemented in your heart this morning. We are winners. So how do we know we win? I need to instill in you some confidence that you are a winner. You are part of the church. You know how the story ends. And then thirdly, what we're going to focus on today is because darkness cannot overcome light. Darkness can't overcome the light. No matter how dark it gets, darkness cannot overcome the light. No matter how outnumbered you feel this morning, darkness cannot overcome the light. No matter how hard Satan attacks you this week, darkness cannot overcome the light. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. You got to see this to believe it. It says in John 1, 4 and 5, In him and Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's your battle cry verse for this week, by the way. John 1, 5. And can I give you a 2023 update on John 1, 5? Because that was a long time ago. So the update that I, that I came to share with you today is that darkness still has not overcome light. That darkness will never be able to overcome light. That cannot, will not, shall not 
overcome light because light and darkness cannot coexist. God made it that way. The only reason that darkness is a reality is because there is no light. Let me show you this from Genesis 1. We've got to back up all the way to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you know these verses. You've, you've, you've read the creation story before, but I want, but I want the, the creation of light to hit you in a certain way this morning, but maybe it never has. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and what? Darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, did God create that darkness? No. He just simply hadn't created light yet. The only reason darkness is a reality is because there is not light. So we got to keep going. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and that's the way it's been ever since. Darkness and light cannot coexist. And I think as believers, we get discouraged into a false narrative. We get discouraged into this idea that there are the forces of darkness over here and all of their troops, all the works of Satan and his minions. And then there are the forces of light and good over here. And the battle lines have been drawn up and, and we have to hope and pray and power through and find the strength to overcome the forces of darkness. That is not true. That is not biblically accurate. In fact, there is no epic battle between light and darkness. Light always trumps darkness. In fact, the darker it gets, it has the reverse effect on light. The brighter light gets in a dark environment. Did you know that as I studied light this week, there are people who have been in certain caves and caverns where darkness was actually tangible where you can feel the darkness is so thick and so heavy. And I know that some of you go through trials and testings and questions and diagnoses and relationships that you can almost feel that tangible darkness from the enemy. You can almost feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? In fact, that's what the word darkness means. In the Hebrew, darkness means tent or tabernacle. In other words, darkness is a place intent on keeping the light out. Darkness is an intentional place where you're in the shadows, you're, you're secluded from light. In other words, there is light, but instead of facing that light, we have like to cower away in the darkness. Darkness, the word means tent or tabernacle. And so I know that this world can seem dark, the things that you go through can seem dark, but I want to encourage you this morning that you are the light and that darkness has not overcome your light and it cannot overcome your light. And in fact, the darker that your life gets, the brighter your light shines. Let me show you this just visibly. I got, we got a little bit of house lights. We got lights up here. The screens are on. Technology's buzzing around. So if I were to turn on this flashlight, do you think it's going to have a monumental impact in this room right now? I'll just, it's bright. I'm not going to shine it in your face, but I'll, I'll put it over here on the, where the black meets the gray right here on this uh, paint job. So you can barely even see that I've got a flashlight on over there, can't you? Because there's light in the room. And there's other sources of light all around us. But if we gradually make this room darker and darker, what's going to happen to this light? You can go ahead. Let's take the house lights down and 
the screens off and the other lights down, as we make our surroundings darker, this light becomes more and more what? Bright, more visible, right? So I, I, I need you to understand something, Christian. You're a victor. You're a winner this morning. And no matter how dark this world seems around you, that only means that your impact, your effectiveness, your brightness is becoming brighter and brighter and more visible and more visible and more of a difference in this dark world. Amen? You are a victor this morning. You are a winner. And I need that truth to be a settled, cemented matter in your heart. You can bring up the lights. Darkness is only a reality due to the absence of light. In your world, in your job, darkness is only reality due to the absence of light. In your relationships, darkness is only reality due to the absence of light. How are you doing with that, Christian? How are you doing with that believer, follower of God? God ordained and science later backs it up you understand science always is playing catch up to what god's word eternally put down so science physics later proved what god laid out in genesis 1 4 that god separated light from darkness and the two cannot coexist there will never be a moment in time where it's so dark that it puts the light out you understand it cannot happen so is this victory a reality for you? Is this idea of being a winner, uh, of, of your victory being secured, is that a settled matter for you? We got to back up to this, this question to understand that, and that is this, are you a child of the light? If you're a son or a daughter of the light, then you are a victor. You are, you are on the winning team. You are part of the church body. But you got to know in your heart of hearts that you are a son or a daughter of the light. Let me explain this from Scripture. In John 8, 12, Jesus says a simple but profound statement, I am the light of the world. He is the source. We cannot find light apart from Jesus Christ. And he says, whoever follows me, Will not, walk in will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says right there, you want to have the light of life? Trust me, believe in me, accept me, and then follow me. Because the point of it is, we were all born in darkness. Our souls were sold to the prince of darkness. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 very clearly explains what the devil has been doing this whole time. In their case, speaking of those without Christ, the God of this world, who do you think that is? That's the old devil. The God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he says that his job, what he's been up to, has been blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what he's been up to. He's been running around trying to keep your world dark trying to keep your eyes shut to the light of gospel, trying to put the blindfold on you, trying to pull one over on you because he's the prince of darkness. But thank God for the good news that light has dawned on us, that Jesus Christ, as the source of light, interfered with our world, with our darkness, and he exposed us to the light of the gospel. 1 Peter 2.9. I want you to see this verse also, and tell me if this verse sounds like 
Uh, tell me if this verse was written to a defeated loser or if this verse sounds like it was written to a victorious winner. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who did what? Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? Praise God that the light dawned on us. The light dawned on me that there was a moment in my life where Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, called me out of darkness. And I responded to that light. And now I'm a son of light. All you got to do to be a victor, all you have to do this morning to be a winner is believe in the light. All the work's been done. Jesus is the source. We don't have to emanate. We don't have to come up with our own light that we emit. All we do is reflect the light of the, the, the source of Jesus. It says this in John 12, 35 through 36. John 12, 35 through 36. And Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Let's darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Now, verse 36 is key. While you have the light, while you had the chance, while you had the opportunity, while he's still calling you, Believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. If you want to be a victor this morning, if you want to be a winner, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus and the light will invade your heart. It will interfere with the darkness. It will dispel the darkness and it will come to live inside of you. Say yes to Jesus today. So the reality of this victory has got to be cemented in our heart if we want to react appropriately. And that's number two, the reaction to victory. When victory becomes real to me, I can then and only then appropriately react. And, and you know, we could, we could celebrate the world the way the world does. That would be fun, right? We could dogpile together after the service. We could take a victory lap. We could storm the field. We could, we could mosh pit down front if you want to. Crystal's game. Uh, we, we, could, we could set off fireworks and have confetti. We could do after parties. In fact, Sundays is kind of like an after party for me every week. That's, that's my after party. But the Bible also gives us two specific reactions to victory that that would be high time for the church to adopt. It's high time for us to do these two things as a church body. How do we respond appropriately? Number one, we walk in the light. And by walk, I mean dance or run or jig or whatever, hopscotch in the light. You can do whatever you want, whatever your move is. Get in that light and walk in it. That's what you need to do. Number one, walk in the light. How do we walk in the light? Let's go to our theme passage this year, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, I want you to notice all the action verbs in this passage as we read it. It's going to explain to us what walking in the light really means as a believer. And this is our reaction to victory. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and the whole church said with me, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That was your battle cry this past week. 
All right, verse 15. Now it's going to explain a little bit more about what walking in the light means. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. In other words, redeem the time, buy back the time because the days are evil. Paul knew it was dark out there. He knew our circumstances in our world was dark, but he said that doesn't overcome your light because whatever's light is visible. So verse 17, how do we walk in this light? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. That's how the world celebrates wins, but but be filled with the Spirit. So in the way that you are drunk and controlled by alcohol, God says the appropriate reaction to victory is being controlled and affected by the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So there's worship. Next one, verse 20, giving thanks. So thanksgiving always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. So a grateful heart is a way that we walk in the light. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So serving one another, submitting to one another is also another way we walk in the light. So a couple of action verbs, you probably caught them, but discern, expose, awake, arise, redeem, worship, celebrate, serve. There's another wonderful passage. We don't have to time to go to it, but I encourage you to write it down as a cross-reference. Romans 13, 12 through 14. Romans 13, 12 through 14. Take time to read that this week. And the reason why, here's the big reason. You want to know why we are instructed to react appropriately to victory? Do you know why Paul says it's so important for us to for us to memorialize this and to celebrate this and to walk in the light and to have the after parties and celebrate and, and do all the things together that we're talking about this year because it's possible to get lulled back into the darkness. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. You'll always be a child of God. You cannot lose eternal security. But there's a way that we as believers even grow cold. We grow apathetic. We grow um, disinterested. We, as believers, we can grow indifferent. We can grow distracted. We can grow divisive in our hearts, bitter. We can, we can do some of that infighting that we talked about, that bitterness that takes root in the church. And you understand now that when we're all as different factions and fringes and denomination and cliques, do you understand how the devil wins in that scenario? Because he's got us as victors, He's got us positioned as winners playing the part of the defeated enemy. He's got us playing the role of the losing team. And we can't let that happen in here. We're to awake, O sleeper, and rise up, warrior. We're the victors. We're on the winning team. So this reacting to victory is so crucial for you so that you don't get lulled back into the darkness. And then number two, not only are we to walk in the light, but secondly, we are to carry the light. We're to carry the light. We're to show the light to others. I love Paul's testimony before King Agrippa in Acts 26. We'll look at verses 15 through 18, but he's sharing his testimony. He almost gets this king saved, and he is explaining how God found him and blinded him with the great light on the road to Damascus. How fitting. And we jump into the middle of Paul's testimony right here in verse 15. And it says, and I said, this is Paul speaking. Who are you, Lord? 
And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Remember, Paul's former life was a persecutor of the church. He would drag us out and beat us to death for worshiping Jesus. That was Paul's occupation. So he was persecuting Jesus, verse 16, but rise, that sounds familiar, and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness. Oh, wait, go back one. We skipped ahead a little bit. Can you go back a slide? To serve as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Now we can go on to verse 17. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. The Gentiles are grafted into the body, the church. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you understand our role? The, the way we react to this victory is by not only walking in the light, but carrying the light to others. We're to rescue others from the flames of hell. We are to claim more victors for the army of God. We are to stand as traffic directors at the gates of hell, showing people a better way. Remember, those in darkness don't know where they're going. They're blindly, by droves and droves, they're blindly following the wide path that leads to destruction. In droves and droves, this world is just stumbling into hell, totally not understanding where they're going. And, and we, as the carers and bearers of light, are to stand as traffic control at the gates of hell, showing people a better way, unveiling the blinders from their eyes, explaining the light of the gospel, explaining what Jesus has done in our hearts. We're to walk in the light. We're to carry the light. We're to carry that victory to other people. So here it is. In conclusion, it is high time for the church to take a victory lap around the devil and around his darkness. If you are a child of God's light, your certain victory has already been secured. And so I challenge you to walk in that confidence. We have not been called to a scarcity mindset. We are not downsizing. We are not defending anything. The church is not being defeated. And so no matter how dark it feels out there during the week, that present darkness cannot overcome your light. You win. It is time to dance upon the darkness. It is time to dogpile on doom and gloom. It's time to storm the fields of our community. It's time to plunder the spoils and feast in the enemy's face. We must wake up and we must rise up to rightfully claim our victory and appropriately celebrate this abundance life after party. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for your role as, as reacting to this victory, as walking in the light, as carrying the light? Are you ready to stand at the gates of hell as a last stop, as a traffic director showing people a better way? That's what I've given my life to. That's what we're called to do this year. Awake, O sleeper, rise up, warriors. Let's pray. Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed, I pray that you would impress upon us that we are victors. 
that whatever fight we face, we are fighting from victory. I pray that that would become a reality in our life. The reality of victory would be first and foremost. And for those this morning that don't know you, that they're not sons or daughters of the light, I would plead with you with every head bowed and every eye closed to believe in the light, to receive the light. Just say yes to Jesus. You've been running. You've been running and and you've been trying to dodge and duck and dive away from the light, but Jesus is going to find you. His light is going to find you. And so I would ask you this morning to respond to that light. Say yes to Jesus. Believe in the light that you may become a victor, that you may become a winner. If that's you this morning, you can just pray something simple like this. God, I know I'm a sinner and I know my sin separates me from you in darkness. But God, I'm thankful for the light of Jesus invading my heart. Thank you that you died on a cross. You paid for my sin. You died and rose again the third day victorious over that darkness. I pray that your light would come into my life and make me brand new. I'm saying yes to Jesus today. I'm receiving the light. Thank you for letting me become a son or a daughter of God. If that's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, I pray that you would just slip up your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if that's you, we want to rejoice with you that you have now become in the light. Anybody at all would say, I pray that prayer received Jesus this morning. I pray that if that's you, that you would go back and find somebody in the back with a yellow lanyard on. They would love to pray with you and celebrate you. And then Christian believer, how about you? Is this victory a settled matter in your heart? Is it a reality for you? Are you living in that confidence that you are a victor? Or has the devil duped you into thinking that you're on the losing team? Has the devil lulled you back into the darkness? Awake, O sleeper, rise up, warrior. Now's the time. And when that victory is a reality, then and only then can we react appropriately by walking in the light and carrying the light. How are you doing with that? I'm going to ask you also to pray wherever you are. You can come forward. You can sit where you are. You can go to the back and and get some accountability and prayer by anybody with a yellow lanyard on. And I pray that you would just ask the Lord to wake you up, revive your heart. Have him to speak some warrior talk into your heart this morning. That you would understand and walk and react and live out of that confidence and that boldness once again that you would wake up out of slumber, that you would wake up out of hibernation, that we would be a church, a great army that has been breathed upon by the breath of God, that we would go out from these four walls and that we would make a difference. We would storm the fields of our community, that we would take a victory lap over the devil in his darkness, that we would dogpile this doom and gloom funeral mentality, that we would get after the spoils and plunder of the enemy, that we would feast in enemy territory all throughout the week. We need your help, Jesus. Help us to do that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Yahweh, to God our Father in heaven, he is overcome with gladness and his face shines upon So let's stand and sing praises to the Lord with all our heart.
of my heart. 